Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Now, I'm going to start off with a story about my dad and end with a story about my mom. Counterintuitive, starting with a story about your dad on Mother's Day. But here's, here we'll go. My dad couldn't have predicted where his life would have taken him. This, my dad was born in a, a mountain village in Italy called Gasperina on the coast of Calabria. And uh, my, my mom actually grew up in that town as well. So they knew each other. They were childhood best friends. And then became, I guess they might have called it a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. Who knows? She moved to Canada when she was 14, and my dad moved to Canada 14, uh, four years later uh, to the city of Toronto, and then two years after that, they got married. While he, you know, found work and grew in business and became, I think, successful in his career, his heart was always leading him to wherever God wanted him to be, however God wanted to use him in the church and in life and in so many other ways, and at the age of 42, he left full-time business and moved into full-time ministry. And that led him to come to Montreal. That's partly why I'm in Montreal. Well, that's why I came to Montreal, not why I stayed. But, um, and so he served in Montreal for 13 years, and then God prompted him to go back to Toronto and serve a church there. And it was interesting, both the move to Montreal and the move to Toronto were not my dad's initial inclination of, hey, I want to do this. I want to go to Montreal or But then he loved Montreal, and he wasn't just thinking, I want to go back to Toronto. It was really a nudge, a prompting he felt from God's spirit. And as a result, his life became an adventure, listening, responding um, to what God was putting in his heart. And I personally, personally saw the ways that he responded to God's open doors, God's closed doors, God's whispers, God's loud voice, and sometimes even God's silence, both in the city he moved to or the ministries he was involved in or the people that he ended up uh, impacting. And, and I was thinking about my dad's story, and I was thinking about how this connects to Eastertide and this series we're in, or this season we're in, post the resurrection, because we're calling this season life in the wake of the resurrection. Well, life in the, in the wake of the resurrection cannot happen without God's very own spirit leading and guiding. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Pentecost, which is the coming of the spirit. And our timeline's been a little bit blurred in this series, and that's okay. Um, but I want to I just start with this. Whatever this newly emerging church was doing, uh, was living, was experiencing after the resurrection was out of their control. The, the early apostles and followers of Jesus basically adjusted their sails to the wind of God's spirit, and they just, they followed. And we're going to read a passage in Acts chapter 10, um, just a short couple of verses that give us a glimpse of this into a really awesome story in this chapter that I hope after today you'll go back and read or reread uh, and just, just immerse yourself into it. But here's verse 44 to verse 48 in Acts chapter 10. We'll jump right in uh, this story about the Apostle Peter. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they invited him to stay for several days. God, as we find ourselves in the middle of this story, in the middle of this beautiful um, telling of your church growing in the book of Acts, God, um, grab a hold of our attention. Help us to recognize that you're present in the scriptures and you're leading and speaking to us, God, in this moment. Amen. Here's a little bit of backstory, because we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but here's a, here's a bit of backstory here. The church is fulfilling God's promise. Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promises the church that his Holy Spirit will come, and they will become witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the whole earth. And so this is part of fulfilling Jesus' promise to them, that they'll be a witness to the earth around them. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 8, where one of the apostles, Philip, shares the story of Jesus, the gospel message with an Ethiopian man, who eventually, we know by tradition or history, takes the story of Jesus maybe to parts of the Middle East, the outskirts of Africa, And so this fulfillment of the church being a witness keeps going. Now, to really set this shift in motion, God has to get Peter's attention. Peter is the key apostle, kind of like the lead apostle of the apostles. He's a passionate guy. He's he's stubborn. He's deeply Jewish, yet he's faithful to Jesus as his Lord, as his teacher, as his king. And there's this moment in the, in the story of the church where God orchestrates this meeting between Peter and this Roman soldier named Cornelius. God gives Cornelius a dream that he has to go meet this person named Peter, and it prompts him to meet Peter. And God gives Peter this vision that would interrupt his religious and cultural footings and just sense of, of being and who he is. It's this vision of a table filled with non-kosher foods that the Jews would never eat or touch. And in the vision, he hears God say, and I'm just paraphrasing, Peter, just eat up, man. This is my gift. All this is good. Don't worry about it. It's good food. Eat it up. As he's finishing this vision, there's a knock on the door, and it's Cornelius. This non-Jewish Roman centurion shows up at the door of this Jewish follower of Jesus, and Peter makes the connection. Oh, I'm not just supposed to welcome the food that's non-Jewish. I'm supposed to welcome the people that are non-Jewish. And this beautiful encounter happens. And so the word that's being shared in verse 44, where Peter is speaking this word, and the people are hearing this word, the people are Cornelius. The people are his family. The people are his close friends. And they're eager to hear the whole story of who Jesus is. And Peter tells them this story. You can go back and read it in Acts chapter 10. He tells them who Jesus is, and what he's done, and how the prophets had witnessed to this moment, and how the death and resurrection of Jesus was fulfilling all God's promises, not only for Israel, not only for his group of people that he grew up with, but for the world, for people like Cornelius, this Roman soldier who was searching and hungry. And Luke tells us that when Peter says this word or preaches this message, that the Spirit of God falls on the people who are hearing this message. And that word fell on them or came upon them in the, in the original language indicates this kind of sovereign move that is uncontrollable by humans. 
It indicates that, and it's this uncontrollable sovereign act, like kind of like wind in a windstorm. You remember as a kid, if you're walking home from school and the wind was really tough, like it was really hard, and when the wind blows you, like you're trying to like gauge your steps, like should I walk against the wind? So I'm like forcing myself to stay solid, or if you walk by in the wrong way, the wind just kind of pushes you. Ever remember have that, that experience? Remember the first time that I actually opened my car door in a parking lot and the wind took it? I didn't, I didn't, like, I heard the wind, but I didn't think it was that strong, and I totally, like, smashed, like, dented the side of my door and the car beside me. I felt so bad, but that, I was uncontrollable. The wind just kind of took it. And that's kind of what this, this word means. The Spirit of God blows like a wind, and it's beyond Peter's or the church's understanding of what God was really fully up to. And something miraculous happens. The people that are listening to Peter speak start speaking in tongues. Just like Peter and the apostles and the first followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 2 did. And it becomes a sign. Verse 44 and 45 say this, that, that as the Spirit falls on them, Peter was astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles. And they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Here's the seeking group of people who are overwhelmed by the Spirit of God being poured out as Peter is telling them the story of Jesus. The same thing that happens to them in Acts chapter 2 that we hear about, Peter is now witnessing it in other people. And so it's like, did God just fast-track this thing? Like, we don't even read a confession in this story. We don't even read a, a sense of a faithful commitment. We, I'm assuming it's happening kind of all really, really quick. And God just makes this first move. And that really shouldn't surprise us because God made the first move as he calls his people Israel to be a light to the nations. God makes the first move as he sends his son Jesus to the world. God makes the first move as he sends his Holy Spirit. God makes this, this move and Peter recognizes, okay, this God, you're up to something, God. These people here are part of what you're doing. And there's a sign that the Spirit gives them that is more than just a sign of conversion. It's a sign of community. It's a sign of, of inclusion. It's a sign of welcome. It's a sign of impartiality, of inclusion. So this early church could firmly know that God's invitation to his kingdom was not just for people like Peter was not just for people who grew, up, who grew up with the Jewish kosher food codes, was not just for people who were part of God's past, but now also would become part of God's future, that the invitation to God's kingdom was for everyone. And God in this moment was speaking through this miraculous sign over these people as they speak in tongues after they're hearing the story of Jesus. And Peter has no other choice. He has no other choice but to welcome them into the church and through baptism. He doesn't just say, oh, cool, God must be doing something with you. No, no, he says, we're going to baptize you. you. You've come to faith in Christ. You're, you're in Christ. You're, you're part of Christ's body. And if you were with us last week, we talked about the significance of baptism, how, how as, of an essential step it is for someone who follows Christ and puts their faith in Christ, that baptism is an incorporation into the life of Jesus, into the body of Christ, the family of God, the mission of God. Peter has no other choice. He recognizes that Cornelius and his family and these people who were listening and responding and the Spirit falls on them is like, you're in Christ. And so he incorporates them into the body of Christ through baptism. 
The spirit falling on them is a sign and the baptism is a seal. The, the spirit falling is like a sign that God is at work. God's welcoming these people. God's doing something. These people have responded. This is way beyond just us as Jewish people. And baptism is a seal affirming, saying, you guys are welcome. You're part of this. Like, as you put your faith in Christ, we're going to be in this together. But I, I, I don't want you to miss what God is doing here and what's happening in this moment. Because what's really going on behind the scenes is they are following the surprising move of God's spirit. They're following what God is doing. They they couldn't have fully imagined, even though Jesus said, hey, you're going to be my witnesses here, here, and here, and to the rest of the world. They couldn't put all the pieces together. They couldn't imagine what that would look like. I guess kind of like my dad, who couldn't have imagined everywhere his life would have taken him, everywhere God would have prompted him, And maybe some of us might realize the same thing. We look back and say, I could have never guessed that God would have led me here, here, or there. There's a a writer, his name is William Willimon. He says this about Acts chapter 10. He says, the wind blows where it wills. Now the church must account for its movement. I love that. The wind or the spirit blows where it wills. Now the church must account for its movement. It's like we, we are always playing catch-up to what the Spirit is doing. We're not controlling it. We're not the, we're not the wind machine. No, no, no. We're, we're in the middle of the wind. And we need to then account for what God is up to. And so what's God doing here? What's the Spirit doing here? Well, he's moving the church to include anyone from anywhere into God's family, into God's kingdom, into God's mission. In fact, when Peter starts off this message to Cornelius back in verse 34, he says, I want to tell you that God shows no partiality. That's the word he uses. He has no favorites. And what we see happening is this building of a radical community that's beyond geography, that's beyond ethnicity, that's beyond social boundaries, that's beyond the moral code of the Jews, And Peter, even Peter, has to put aside his cultural and religious presuppositions to follow what the Spirit is doing. That's so challenging for me today because sometimes we think God's done. God's done everything he's going to do, and that's it. But God's not done. God still wants to do more. God's still calling us to do more. Not just do more, but follow what he's doing and participate in what he's up to. But in this moment in Acts chapter 10, what he's doing is he's creating a life together. He's creating a life together of people from different backgrounds. And this last little verse of chapter 10 is so telling for me. It's simple, but it it just speaks so much into what this life together means. It says this. Luke tells us that these people invited Peter to stay for several days. These people that just, you know, Peter witnessing the spirit that Peter preaches to and they respond and all this, that these people invited Peter to stay for several days. Now, this is not like a tourist visit. This is not like, you know, you come to Montreal and like, hey, come to Montreal. I'm going to show you Schwartz. We're going to go have some smoked meat. I'm going to bring you to a cafe in old Montreal. We're going to check out the mountain. Maybe we'll see the Olympic Stadium and then we'll go by like Point Claire Village and hang out by the water. Does that sound good? It wasn't like a tourist visit. They weren't saying, Peter, stick with us for a while. We're going to go to the local market. The eggs we buy there are best in the region. When we make an omelet at home, it's going to be fabulous. 
No, no, no. They're inviting Peter to stay. And here's the first, one of the first things that we need to see what's going on here. They're inviting Peter to teach them. They're inviting Peter to stay so him, as an apostolic witness of Jesus, will help them learn and live this new life that they have found in Christ. Because they need to not just experience the Spirit and be baptized into the family of God, but they need to, they need to grow in what it means to live this. And they're submitting themselves to the life and faith of the early church. That's partly what they're doing. They're saying, Philip, uh, Peter, would you stay with us for several days? Would you teach us? Would you guide us? We want to sit under your teaching, under your guidance. That's what they're doing in this moment when they invite Peter to stay. But then there's, then there's more than that because they're saying, we want to be hospitable to you. The Spirit of God is doing something in us and is changing us and is working in us. And we want to bless you, Peter. You stay with us. We're going to feed you. We're going to care for you. We're going to be with you. And the Spirit leads them to this generous hospitality that we saw a couple of weeks ago already starting in the early church. And later, Peter, in one of his letters, tells the church to be hospitable with one another. He's experiencing it right now with Cornelius' family. They're expressing hospitality to him. But something else is going on just by Peter staying these several days. Peter is affirming by him, remember, he's a Jewish man who follows the Jewish code, who only eats kosher food, who makes sure he doesn't touch unclean things according to the Jewish moral code. And where's Peter hanging out for a few days? In a Roman home. In a Roman home, at a Roman table with non-Jewish people. And Peter's affirming in this moment that this Roman family is just as important in God's kingdom as those with Jewish roots, as those who came from God's past. This family that's going to be also part of God's future is just as important. And Peter's ethnicity is no longer a criteria for God's family growing. I'm going to quote William uh, Willie Jennings again, I just loved loving his writing in, in Acts. And he says it like this. He says, in the corner of the Roman Empire, there was a rip in the fabric of space and time in the house of a Roman soldier. In the corner of the Roman Empire, there was a rip in the fabric of space and time in the house of this Roman soldier. What's, what's the rip in space and time? It's that God's kingdom was breaking into this corner of the Roman Empire. God's kingdom is breaking into this home into this family, into this circle of friends. God's, there's a pocket of God's reconciling community that comes out of the cross and the resurrection and the movement of the Spirit that is happening right there in that house with those people in those relationships among a Jewish and Roman families. There's something beautiful happening there. It's a rip in space and time. It's not the fullness of new creation yet, but it's a glimpse of new creation. It's a pocket of new creation of justice and love and hospitality and unity and equality. There's a microcosm of heaven and earth happening right there in the corner of the Roman Empire. Now, Peter later tells us that this is all made possible through Jesus. This is what he tells the Ephesian church. Sorry, Paul tells us this. Paul tells us, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. 
in his flesh, he has made both groups, Jewish and non-Jewish, into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Paul later sees what's going on. Paul later can articulate it, can write about it, can tell us. But Peter is starting to see it break open into that pocket of the Roman Empire, into that home, into that neighborhood. I'm so glad to have my mom on the, in the gathering today, but I want to just share a story about her because she, she was one who, um, whose table was always open for anybody. And, um, you know, there's memories of my house and my family growing up where we'd have five or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 people in our home. And often for lunch or something like there'd be someone that's visiting from South America, from Peru, from the Dominican Republic, from Great Britain, from Argentina, whatever. And that was partly because living after my dad became a pastor and we had these guests come in and we'd often just host them around. But it was more than that as well. And, and, and I remember having like, you know, uh, group of people from Europe hanging out in our, in our basement and out in, in our backyard. And my mom had this way of, uh, in, in her, just who she was to just like make the table open. And there was something beautiful that would take place because so many people came from so many different backgrounds. And I heard stories of how that was the case even before I was born. And and just over and over and over again, this idea of the table being open. A couple of years back, there was about 10 youth from our church that went to Toronto for a conference. And we were going to do the conference on Saturday and on Friday night. We were going to go hang out and play at this kind of like this gaming place or whatever. And uh, I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, we're, we're a bunch of us are going to be there, maybe a dozen, 15. Uh, we're going to hang out on Friday night, not far from your house. What do you think if we pop by for supper? Oh, yeah, just just come. And so here are like West Side youth, a couple of adults, and we're all having pasta at the same dining room table that moved from Toronto to Montreal and then back to Toronto again. And we're just, we're just there and just hanging on. The table was open. And this was like a microcosm of the kingdom of God at work. And we might take it as like normal when all that happens, but there's something beautiful that takes place when the body of Christ opens up their lives and their homes because the movement of the Spirit is inviting the world to experience Jesus. One of the early church fathers, his name is Origen, one of my friends just posted it this week, and I'm like, I love, I love what he's saying here. And he says, this is back in the second century. First, come and share our life. Then you will understand our doctrine. First, come and share our life. Then you will understand our doctrine. It's so easy to flip that and say, you know, I want you to hear the, 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 the doctrine first so then you could experience the life. <laughs> and of course, when we are in Christ and are growing in Christ, that changes and shapes us and we grow into the life. But, I, but here, as early as the second century, Origen and other early church leaders were, were, were trying to say this, come and share our life. Come and see what God is doing here. Come and see what's happening and then understand our doctrine. And there's no doubt in my mind that the people that knew Cornelius, his other friends and family, and other people in that pocket of the neighborhood probably started to also be part of his home and probably see something and probably see what's going on and started to share his life and share 
his home and see what's going on and all of a sudden start to know, oh, what, there's something true here. I, I see what you guys believe. I see what you're living for. I see who's changed your life. Now tell me more. And Origen articulated it. First come and share our life, then you'll understand our doctrine. And see, here in this story in Acts 10, it's so beautiful because we have the sign of the Spirit letting these first apostles know the kingdom is open for those that are beyond you. And then we have the seal of baptism that incorporates these people into the body of Christ, which creates life together. Life together. And that was the radical move of the Holy Spirit for Peter and the church. Imagine they wouldn't have followed the wind of the Spirit. But they did. The wind was blowing and they adjusted their sails and they made account for what God was doing and they decided to join in. So my question to us today is, what about us? What about you? What about me? How can you keep up? How can I keep up? How can we keep up with God's redemptive activity? So many times we talk about God doing something in Quebec and God doing something in our culture. But as soon as we think that God might be doing something with a group of people that we feel a little uncomfortable with, we're like, no, that can't be God. <laughs> you know, the, you know, 74% of, of Quebec still considers themselves Catholic. Many people in Protestant churches wonder how God's going to move in, this, in our province and wonder like when they see glimpse of things happening in a, in a Catholic church or among Catholic friends, they're, they're like, no, no, that can't be God. God can't be reaching them. God can't be speaking to them. God can't be like doing something in them. Why not? What if God wants to start something in pockets of our province that you're very unfamiliar with? It might not look perfect and it might look messy at first, but what if God wants to do that and God wants to start using us to be part of that? I got a newsletter from a friend and uh, colleague out in Central Asia who's serving out there. And they're right in the middle of Ramadan. And I caught something in his newsletter said, it's incredible that during Ramadan, how many Muslims are having visions and dreams of Jesus. It's like, what? Wait, during their prayer time, God's showing up in their dreams? That doesn't make sense with my theology. But what if God wants to do something? What if God wants to move and call and remind us that he, he wants the world to know who he is? What's the Spirit doing? How can we participate in God's redemptive activity? And just like Peter, sharing the story of Jesus and watching the Spirit work as that happens. Don't be surprised. And then we follow along. And here's Peter's posture. Here's the church's posture. And I'm going to end with this. They were submissive to the lordship of Jesus. The resurrected Jesus was their king, their lord, their guide, their leader, everything. And then they were not only submissive to the lordship of Jesus. How were they submissive to the lordship of Jesus? They were responsive to the leading of the spirit. As the spirit led them, they recognized this is what Jesus told us would happen. This is how Jesus wants us to be a light to the nations. Let's respond in that moment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite us. We're not done with this yet. Maybe when we cycle back to Pentecost in two weeks, we'll keep going. But this is a lifelong, continual growth for us as Christ followers. How can we keep up with God's redemptive activity in the world, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your, co in, in your working place, whatever that might look like? Well, let's start here. Let's be submissive to the Lordship of Jesus. 
and then responsive to the leading of his spirit. Those two things are going to help us walk with Christ and follow along. Let's pray. God, it's very likely that we, like Peter, also have some presuppositions, some cultural underpinnings, some past experiences that we've made gospel but that aren't the gospel, some ways that maybe we've grown up or parts of our ethnicity or cultural heritage, God, that we have allowed to stop us from welcoming others around us to experiencing your kingdom through the story and life of the resurrected Jesus. God, I, I, just, I pray that you would help us to submit to the lordship of your son, Jesus. He is king of our lives. Help us to be people who keep telling and retelling the Jesus story. And God, may we anticipate that your spirit will be at work as the story of Jesus is told. God, we pray for that. We long for that. Oh God, and surprise us. Shake us up. Remind us when we forget this that your Holy Spirit is at work when Jesus is lifted up. God, may we have ears and hearts and eyes and minds to be sensitive to how your spirit is blowing in our time. Oh God, and if there's ways that will make us uncomfortable or it might feel risky to us or maybe sacrificial to us, God, may we trust that you're at work and respond. And God, I pray that we too, like Peter and Cornelius, would reflect the microcosm of your kingdom family in our church, in our relationships, in our homes. Oh God, even in the middle of the restrictions of this pandemic, may we be used by you to reflect to the world a life together. And as we trust and pray um, that eventually things will open up even more, God, may we lean into the opportunity of life together in physical, tangible ways. So like this early church father said, may others come and see and share our life and then be pointed to our doctrine. Oh God, may, may, may we be growing to be a church like that and a people like that, God. And for some today that are just longing, longing to see things break in their own lives, the things that hold them back, the things that are, are the injustices in our world, the inequalities in our world, the presuppositions in our world, God, would you break them in us? And may those of us who need that more or ongoing, God, just to welcome that from the work of your spirit in us. And may some listening today that for the first time need to turn their hearts to Christ, God, I pray that we would know that even now your spirit's at work drawing and working in them, Lord. May, you, may your spirit fall upon them right now in this moment in Jesus' name. 
as a sign of your work and then movement towards being part of who you are in your kingdom and your work. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com giving. Until next time, peace.